I refer to this time as question and response for a reason. Questions that are related to the truth, they can be answered if the answer is revealed in the Bible and it has been clearly interpreted. But many of the questions are related to life experiences, humanly and spiritually. And regarding those, uh, I don't think anyone should take the position they have the answers to all kinds of things in someone else's life. So I can just respond <coughs> in genuine fellowship. And then you just consider whether or not that applies to you, whether it's helpful. If it is, okay. If not, I'm not going to cry. Okay. That's why I call it response. And we have about an hour and a half. And uh, there's quite a pile. So I better not promise we'll stay here till I respond to all the questions. We might have that Repetition of the one all-night meeting in Acts, where Paul started speaking in the evening. At midnight, someone fell down. They thought he was dead, so Paul revived him. Then he went on until dawn, and they had breakfast, okay? So we'll, I'll just do what I can. And uh, you do have the option. I'm not beseeching you to do this, but you do have the option to... But don't respond to your question. You can send it in an email. And I only respond to one kind of anonymous emails. And that is when the writer, the matter is something, you know, so personal, it's better to be covered. Then I will respond to that one time. And I will respect that. Otherwise, it's better to identify yourself. But I leave that to the writer. Okay, we begin. Uh, I have been troubled by the enemy regarding a part of my past. And then the question refers to 1 Corinthians 6. It clearly states that neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor drunkards, etc. will inherit the kingdom of God. If I participated in any one of these things even after coming into the recovery, does that mean I no longer have any hope of entering into the kingdom when the Lord comes back since my vessel is now damaged? Okay. It definitely does not mean that. We need to be very clear of the language Paul uses. He doesn't say, those who got drunk or those who committed the action of fornication. He talks about a kind of person who is living that way habitually. So they are fornicators, adulterers. And it's very clear from the question that the writer is not this kind of person. And so it's a lie from the enemy telling you, what's the point? You're going to be in outer darkness anyway. Then he'll say, well, you might as well enjoy what you can on the earth because there's no hope for you. And this way you go lower and lower. But I do know uh, of a situation 
I won't give any clue. No one can come anywhere near guessing who the party might be. But he is the only, she or he is the only one that was not only involved deeply in a, in a rebellion, but also in something grossly sinful. But the Lord gave the gift of repentance. There was a radical turn. And I fully expect that this believer will be in the wedding feast. Because there was not the kind of person this one was. This is not the kind of person you are. Yes, the vessel can be damaged. But we're not just in a recovery outwardly. The Lord is recovering our entire being. Amen. And that includes a damaged vessel. Amen. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. This is the easiest one because there's nothing written on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I have sweet fellowship with the Lord before bed and often have the best times with Him before falling asleep. But I have a hard time spending this time in the morning and I don't want to because it is not enjoyable to me. How can I cultivate this time and develop a taste for it? Well, see what I mean by a response and not an answer? It seems to me you're a night person. <laughs> and, and, and there are some day persons, <clears throat> like some trainees, to them, if they could get up at at 5.15 and run 5K, they would, be, they would be fine. But they couldn't make it through the whole day without falling asleep. And they're ready to go to bed. They conk out by 9.30. But others, their energy peaks around 1 a.m. And I don't know how they make it through the training, but they did. So my suggestion might be a little surprising to you. But I wouldn't, I suggest you don't try to force yourself to be different. Have this sweet time in the Lord. And maybe I'm playing this a little bit. But God's point of view, it says the evening and morning were one day. So from his point of view, the day starts at night. <laughs> so you're just having the extra early morning revival, Okay. <laughs> But then, in the morning, uh, just spend some time, despite any kind of feeling you're lacking, and just spend some time reading the Word and pray reading to take in something healthy, even though that is not the most enjoyable time to you. And I believe uh, you shouldn't try to force yourself to try to recalibrate your body chemistry or however it's doing. Um, but don't let the whole morning go by. Don't try to replace your sweet time at bedtime with the morning, but just take a few minutes at least just to read some verses, to pray, to have a brief prayers with the Lord, and then go about your day.
Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on whether having children makes you or your family more useful to the Lord? Okay, you want, you're asking for thoughts, so I'll give you thoughts. Um, and the background for the thoughts is, according to God and his creation of us, that his view is that a man and a woman will get married and then they would continue the existence of the human race with children. And so I consider this, uh, I don't want to say normal as if not having children is abnormal because it's not. But this is just, you could say, the more ordinary way to do it. Well, I would emphasize children make, have made me more useful to the Lord. Um, in many ways, <clears throat> I have a daughter first and two sons. It's amazing to me how the same married couple can produce such different little human beings. <laughs> but they, wow, are they ever different. And by loving them, caring for them, training them, that gives the Lord the opportunity to touch me very deeply and to show me how much I need the humanity of Jesus. And then here comes number two, and I'm touched from another direction. And then number three, I say this with affection, the most mysterious of the three, this, when something happened in his life, it touched the very core of my being as a dad. And why that happened, I don't know. But the Lord used that to work himself into me, to constitute me. Um, but I, I can't say it's going to make your, your family more useful to the Lord. Um, it's really the marriage relationship. That's the foundation for this. That uh, this is the primary relationship in God's creation. You loved each other before the children came. And of course, once the children come, the father, husband, dad has to realize and joyfully accept the fact that your wife loves the children more than you in a certain way because they came out from within her. So there's a special connection that you don't have. But eventually, they grow up and you have an empty nest. <coughs> then you realize this is the primary relationship. Okay, that's about all I can say. Ask for thoughts. And so those were some thoughts. Okay. How can you blend into a new locality? Okay. We have to ask questions that start with how. 
But we can never fully answer them because there's not a method for anything <coughs> in life. But this is a very good question. I'm thankful for it. So when you're in a new locality, the first thing you need to do, you know, once you're settled practically and where you're working and where you're living and if you have kids, you're taking care of them, you need to let go of your entire history in the church life. If you want to be blended together, you cannot take as a standard the church life you already know and then measure the place where you are by that. We are in one body, but and all the local churches are in the fellowship of one body. The local churches differ in their development and the degree of building and the experience of the leading ones and the certain practices. And so you need to let go, like Paul, forgetting the things that are behind. And then how do we blend? Well, Brother Lee gave us the brief definition. Blending is not simply social contact. And it's something more than just fellowship. Okay, four things are happening. We're doing everything in the Spirit, through the cross, to minister Christ for the building up of the body. And so we ourselves personally need to be freshly in this domain, this realm. Lord, I need to be in the Spirit when I'm in any aspect of the church. And I need to be a brother or sister that is allowing the cross to work in me to remove anything that would hinder my being one in one accord and fitting in and blending. And then I'd like to enter into the mutuality of ministering Christ and receiving Christ from one another. And my only goal is not to become something in the church, not to have any position, not for my husband to have anything so I can vicariously have something in him. I just am here for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? Amen. Okay, I experienced the Lord in me how to experience... Uh, being in the Lord. Okay. Uh, I'm going to point out something here. And this is very common. Almost universal. What I'm talking about is a reversal of the Lord's word in John 15. When he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He said, abide in me and I in you. That's what he said. But very often, either we wish it would be otherwise or we try to make it otherwise. So let's just take my starting of a new day. I grope to consciousness. I have to figure out what part of the earth am I in? What time zone am I in? And I am 60% awake, 40% not awake. And it would be so good 
if the Lord would just come and abide in me and give me thrilling experiences and flood me with resurrection life and give me all kinds of ecstatic joy, then I say, okay, I'll be in you. But that's not what he said. So to abide in the Lord is to be in the mingled spirit. And we are to take the first step. And that is to turn our heart to the Lord and open to him. And under the cleansing blood of Jesus, exercise our spirit to be one with him. Then he abides in us. Now, what do we experience? Okay. Okay. The writer, you will experience another person living in you. You'll have the sense that Christ is a person living in you. And this person living in you is also the shepherd of your soul. And he wants to care for you in every way, all the time. This person living in you is the all-inclusive Christ who wants to be whatever you need in whatever situation you are in. This person living in you wants to flow out through you into the lives of others to bring friends to the Lord, to care for other believers, to bring you into fellowship. And so... um, Now, when you are in the Lord, when you are in the Lord, this is the question, what do I experience in the Lord? Well, it's somewhat like, this illustration might help a little, the children of Israel were in Egypt, in one realm, in bondage, in slavery. God's intention was to redeem them and bring them into another realm, another land, flowing with milk and honey, which signifies the universal, all-inclusive Christ. So when you are in the Lord, you begin to realize, I'm in another realm. I'm, I'm in a person, but I'm in another realm of the all-inclusive Christ And also by being in him, I am in the body of Christ. I am in the kingdom of God. I am part of the one new man. And so Christ being in you is very personal. Your being in Christ is personal, but leading to a realization. I'm part of an organism. I'm part of a corporate person. And now I'm living in another realm. I'm living in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And it's toward the end of his ministry, Brother Lee called this the divine and mystical realm. It's just like someone allowed entrance into this country. They came from a deprived situation, a risky, life-threatening situation. And now they're just so glad to be in this realm where there's possibilities for them without end. It's like that. Okay. Okay, I read that Jacob's loss of Joseph 
was a tremendous factor in Jacob's maturing. How can a believer who's ex- uh, experienced unexplicable loss practically cooperate with God for his maturing in the body? Well, this question arises from the depths of someone's being. And they've obviously have gone through something uh, at a great cost, an inexplainable loss. Okay, I'll try to share something. Uh, not every tremendous loss in the course of our human life is of the same in nature that Jacob experienced when he seemed to have lost <coughs> Joseph. So let's just go back in his life. Uh, he wanted Rachel. He thought he got Rachel. Ended up with Leah. Seven more years he has Rachel. The love of his life. And he was there when she died in childbirth. So this was an indescribable loss to lose your spouse like this. But by that time, his name was Israel. He had been transformed. And so when the child was being born, the midwife is trying to comfort Rachel. The baby boy is born. She named him Benoni, son of sorrow. Because I'm in sorrow. I'm going to die. And Jacob, who's now Israel, is observing this. And he said, I will name him Benjamin, son of my right hand. He saw the love of his life pass away before his eyes. Then he buried her, set up a pillar, and journeyed on. This was the climax of his transformation stage. Meaning, the natural life is transformed to be divinely human. But he wasn't mature yet. Maturity means you are filled to overflowing with the divine life. And so the Lord arranged again for a certain kind of loss. And Jacob's lack of maturity was indicated by the fact he still favored Joseph. Because she was born of Rachel. And he favored him. He gave him a coat of many colors. So this is a sign of his lack of maturity. And the Lord needed him to mature in order to bring forth the reigning life typified by Joseph. And so we know the story. But... What actually happened? They presented, the the brothers presented their father with this robe dipped in blood and then left it to their father to infer, this is my son's garment, 
a wild beast has killed him. So this is the trauma of the loss. And the initial grief. But then, in the silence of his inner being, he would consider this. They never found the body. This matter is not settled. He may not be dead. And so, he's inwardly, he's in this situation because the matter was never resolved. If they brought the corpse, they had a funeral, you have a burial, you're confronting the reality of death, it's irreversible, then you can, step by step, walk through the valley, go through the stages of grief, and emerge. But when there's no closure, there's no certainty in your being. So every time, I owe this to Brother Lee's exposition, of course, he, uh, Jacob, whenever he would just consider Joseph, and I have just some understanding of this, there's just a pang of pain in his being. And it thrusts him open. And the life just pours into his being until he's mature. When he's, when he's mature, Joseph reigns and they're reconciled. So in no way am I minimizing or detracting from the unexplainable loss. But once we have sustained it, meaning once we have basically accepted it and have made some progress under the Lord's shepherding to walk through it, then something is very important. And this is really from my heart because I have seen again and again both kinds of responses. For some, it brought them to the Lord they open their being to the Lord in a way they've never done before. They pray something like this. Lord, don't, don't let this grievous suffering be in vain. Bring life out of this. Gain me through this. Don't let this just be a waste. Why this happened, I don't know. Why you allowed it to happen, I don't know. But it happened. And I don't want this to be in vain. And then, the Lord will do something very deep and organic in resurrection life in your being that will issue in you a capacity to really Pour out your being in loving care for the saints. But I would never say that's why it happened. Many, many ones have come for fellowship in this kind of 
agony. And I try to tell them gently, I'm not going to be one of Job's friends and give an opinion about what happened. That adds to your suffering. But it happened. <clears throat> now will you allow the Lord to come in and bring in resurrection and gain something in you. But the opposite, I've seen many times, uh, especially in very strong brothers. It just, the result was the self became stronger than ever. It just intensified what they were in the flesh. Till eventually, the Lord took his hand off them. He didn't try to deal with them anymore and they thought, wonderful. And actually, oops, if you can get it under there. Actually, the Lord was saying, um, I, can't get, I can't get through with you now. So I'll see you later. And so we don't know for sure that that, um, the the reason for that experience, we honestly, we may not be, if if you're in the stage of losing Rachel, then it's not a matter of, that's what's making you mature. That is something that is transitioning you into an unknown realm of the experience of life. But if we would disinquire okay, of the Father, not only of the Lord, you need to inquire of the Father. Father, what are you seeking? Why did this happen? What can you gain? And underlying it, I say again, Lord, don't let this be a waste. Because God's way is illustrated in changing water into wine, is to change death into life. And let him do that in you. Then he'll do it through you. In the Philippians Life Study, Brother Lee speaks about our domestic logic and national characteristics. Can you describe a little more and how we can be delivered from them for the reality of the new man? Ah, a splendid question. Um, Well, before I even delicately touch any culture or country other than the United States, (laughs) I'm just going to stay here. So the, uh, the domestic logic and national characteristics. <clears throat> Part of the domestic logic concerning truth in this country is pragmatism. And this is not uh, a, a meaning. There's no such thing as objective truth beyond us. Truth is whatever works out in practicality in something. So that's how we measure everything. 
There's something very similar in this way in the Chinese thinking from the little that I know and what I've studied and the responses to messages. A message revealing a high revelation is given and someone says, how, how, how do we practice this? Right? That is pragmatic. That's your mind. Okay, this is so abstract. I don't mean I know these profound spiritual things. I want something that works. That has measurable results. That is a domestic logic. And then another characteristic is, and I mentioned this in one of the messages, is the reason why the United States could not win a war like the Vietnam War. But the Asian countries knew they could prevail because America, Americans are impatient people. They cannot do anything that requires endurance in a long period of time. It has to be quick. It has to be now. And if it doesn't happen now, they want to stop. They want to change. They want to protest. In other words, we'll just wait and just continue this largely guerrilla warfare and they'll just be worn down. And then if you study the protests from the 60s, this is behind a lot of it, is that we don't want this. We can't do anything long term. And when this impinges or reaches into our personal life with the Lord, then it's hard for us to think in terms of little by little, day by day. I want it now. I have a microwave mind. I want the thing to be ready to eat in 90 seconds. But now you, you are, what, some kind of, uh, another kind of thinking. So, and. From another culture, I won't name the culture. I encountered this times without number. Um, and where I asked certain young adults from this background, at what age are you free to make your own decisions? I mean, right now you're telling me that your parents think they can make decisions for you. Whom you should marry. Whether or not you should go to the training. Things like that. And they say, if you don't do what I tell you, you're not honoring me. So I ask them, at what age can you make a decision? 35? 57? <laughs> and so that is absolutely a matter of culture. Because if we know the proper principles, parents cannot determine the destiny of their sons and daughters. We're not God. They are free human beings. Remember Luke 15. The father didn't say, look at son, you're asking for your inheritance. I'm not giving it to you. You don't have my permission. You're just going to stay here like your older brother. I'm not letting you go. That's a stupid request you made. No. He respected the freedom of his son. 
because he was of an age of responsibility. And so, the way we are delivered from domestic logic and the, and the national characteristics is not to try to be delivered from domestic logic and <laughs> national characteristics. Because what will happen is we'll either be empty, which is dangerous, or we will make another kind of logic and characteristics of our own. So I, I reviewed this just within the last two weeks because of the conference on Colossians. What you do is don't try to change anything. Just contact the Lord and let him saturate you. Amen. And as he's saturating you, he'll eliminate all the elements contrary to himself. Amen. That's the way. It's not by trying to change anything or adopt another culture or to have a non-culture culture. That's just the self acting on itself to try to change or improve the self. Okay. In serving with others, how can we be saved from being frustrated with each other's disposition? I believe we are endeavoring to be in spirit in serving. But sometimes it could be discouraging to continue to be included in a service. Okay, now you're finding out the real situation, right? Right. And this, this kind of serving. Uh, okay, two levels here. You see, if we would just come together, just all of us here, and just sing and pray and praise the Lord in our spirit, we would just have sweet oneness. But if we now have to carry out something practical, okay, <laughs> then we must use the faculties of our soul. We have some thoughts about it. We have some feeling about it. And then, lo and behold, we humans have different thoughts and different feelings. Then how do we arrive at one accord? Because this is what is the real issue here. Okay. We arrive at one accord. By one accord, we mean that the oneness of the Spirit, which is in our spirit, is allowed to flow into our mind, emotion, will, soul, and heart in all of us. It's just very normal to have different thoughts and different views. Look at Acts 15. They were not debating but there was a lot of discussion. And those that took the lead, they were the law-keeping party. The Gentiles must be circumcised. The men, they must keep the law or they can't be saved. And then Paul comes along with an entirely different view regarding them. No, they're not under the law. They don't have to be circumcised. They're saved by grace through faith. Then Peter shares some things. And then, this is what is said in the letter. They arrived at one accord. They arrived at it. Because no one is there with a dominant personality imposing 
his thought. That's dictatorship. That has to be utterly removed. Now, so the one level is the level of one accord by us recognizing we have different views of things and we, in a spirit of fellowship, we should be able to just share them. And then, sisters, now this is a little challenge but for all of us, but just in a special way for you. You have to let go of what you just shared. Don't personalize it. So if someone doesn't disagree with you, don't take it personally. Okay, you disrespect me. You don't think of, you don't have any regard for what I think. Well, I can't honestly agree with what you're saying, but I, I respect you more. So we allow this spirit of oneness in this matter to work in all of us. We all have this goal. We want to be in one accord. But we need to arrive at it. So we need to be transparent and honest in our fellowship. So this is the foundation for about disposition. Okay. Because when you bring in the word disposition, you are now bringing forth what we call the depths of ourself. Disposition is what we are, are by nature. This is absolutely a matter of our genetics. We're born with a certain disposition. And so I just have three children, but their dispositions are very, very different. So the disposition is just the depths of the self. And it is the greatest hindrance to our being useful to the Lord for the long run, to our being buildable, to our being able to coordinate with others. And Brother Lee in 1975, and a little bit after that, gave messages on this in a kind of informal training. And first he suggested uh, you can come together in small groups and pray and then open to one another and just say, what is your feeling about my disposition? But one week later, uh, because he himself is following the instant leading of the Lord, he said, no, it's too risky to touch directly someone's disposition. You will set off a landmine in someone. You can almost activate something demonic. I'm not saying the person is demon-possessed. No. And so, yes, we're frustrated from others' disposition. Okay. So now we're at the point. The writer is frustrated with others' disposition. Okay, what part of you is frustrated? Is the Christ in you frustrated? Do you think he's frustrated? He's saying, I, I can't bear this person. I'm giving up on this person. I don't want to be with this person. I, I, I just wish this person were not in, in this court. No. When he, when he called the 12, it, I don't have a full knowledge of many of them, but they were very different in person. 
You got Peter. You have John. You've got Matthew, the tax collector. What kind of person would write the Gospel of Matthew? What kind of person would write John? There are different kinds of persons. And among them was a person named Simon the Cananean. Now, Cananean was not someone from Canaan. The Cananeans were the most radical, anti-Roman people among the Jews. They want violent overthrow of the Roman Imperium. So here is, imagine if this is your partner. You know, you're with this kind of disposition and you're kind of laid back and thoughtful and sensitive and subjective and you've got you know, a revolutionary person <laughs> with you. <coughs> and so, this, this is what I can offer. Okay. First of all, you admit you're being frustrated. Then you have to realize it's part of yourself and your natural life that's frustrated. This disposition is setting this off in you. And the first thing you need to do is not to try to target the other person's disposition, but to come to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. And this is happening again and again. And what the Lord will want to do is to touch that part of you that is affected by that disposition. And in place of that part of you which is frustrated, then he will saturate you with himself as the resurrection life, and then you will find, I'm not bothered. I'm clear about his disposition. And I don't agree with it, but it's not affecting me at all. So that's the first step of the cross. Are you ready for the second? Uh, Believe it or not, your disposition Maybe as frustrating to someone else <laughs> as that person's Absolutely. disposition is to you. I know this is hard to imagine. <laughs> you can say, well, I'm just so easygoing. Okay, I can't stand easygoing people. I want frank, uh, honest people, okay? And so, once you begin to realize, I got one of these, uh, And this is what the Lord brought to my attention. So there were some years. The Lord caused me desperate to seek him about this. About my disposition. I wanted him to touch it. I personally asked Brother Lee to touch it. I asked for a time of fellowship with him. And I went to see him. It was very brief. And I asked him, Brother Lee, will you please touch my disposition? And he answered me in three sentences. He said, Brother, the Lord will gain us. Sentence two. We work together. In other words, there will be opportunity. Sentence three. I certainly will do it. (laughs) And my testimony is, he certainly did do it. 
And the Lord did his part. But I had a certain controversy with the Lord. I said, Lord, I was born this way. I had no choice. Why are you holding me responsible for something I have no control over? This isn't fair. And I informed this just before I began to do some lap swimming for my exercise. And, and I could do the freestyle and get on the length of an Olympic-sized pool, but I never knew how to flip. And my breathing wasn't that good, so I would stand at the end of the pool and take a breath and then come back for another lap, okay? And then while I'm standing in the water of a pool in the health club, this verse comes up. Shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me thus? Has not the potter authority over the clay? And so that ended uh, that period of (laughs) kind of discrepancy. And so, at least these two things. Christ is never bothered. He He came into all of us. He knows what kind of persons we are. He knows what to do. He... He, he may need to wait, but he's not frustrated. He's going to wait there in peace and then give you a little hint. Uh, knock, knock. Can I come in now to your heart? Can I come in? Uh, will you let me into this feeling that you have? Okay, knock, knock. I'm not going to barge in. Okay, no. I'm not answering the door. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll come back again. I'm not giving up. I'm here in your spirit. Okay. But if the light comes... And the Lord blesses you with a sense of desperation. He'll touch the core of your being. Then he will resurrect all the possible aspects, all the positive aspects of your disposition. In the meantime, when you realize what's bothered in you and the Lord touches it, the Lord will supply you with grace and you won't be bothered. You just won't be bothered. It can't affect you because that part of your being that was affected then what will happen is the Lord will bring you in contact with so many different kind of dispositions. This one touches that part. This one touches that part. This one touches this part. This one touches that part. And you're frustrated when you're touched. You go to the Lord. He touches this part of your being until nothing, nothing like that can frustrate you because the Lord has been able to spread throughout your being. What should you do if there is someone you feel you should be shepherding but you don't want to or don't have the capacity to? Well, I'm assuming that this is not a family member. You know, It's not someone that humanly, humanly you have the responsibility. Okay. What should you do? Well, I suggest the first thing is to say, Lord, uh, I think I should be shepherding this person. But I don't want to. And the reason the reason I don't want to is that I think I can't do it. I don't have the capacity. Then see what the Lord does. 
I would suggest don't force yourself to do it. Because that is, I think, to placate an ethical conscience. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I want to do this so I can say I did it. But that's not going to benefit anyone. And the one you're shepherding, depending on their discernment, they're going to realize that what, what, what's the point? I'm not getting any supply. There's no particular flow in fellowship. So I, I would be honest with the Lord and bring these two things to Him. I don't want to, but there's a reason you don't want to. I don't have the capacity to. Then I think this is what will happen. How will you get the capacity? Well, it's similar to 1 John 4.19. How can we love? We're commanded to love. How can we do it? We can't. We love because he first loved us. We shepherd because he first shepherds us. My dear one, brother or sister who wrote this, let the Lord shepherd you. He's the shepherd of your soul. That's First Peter 2. Just let him shepherd you. And to the degree that he shepherds you, you will be able to shepherd others in and with the shepherd who cares for you. And don't let the enemy lie to you by coming to the Lord with personal needs and praying about your human needs or spiritual needs or financial needs. This is part of our praying for our daily bread. The enemy robbed me of a long time saying, you're selfish, that's not spiritual. You pray for yourself to grow in life. And then finally I told him, enemy, shut up. You just watch me. I'm going to pray for myself right now. I'm going to pray for the Lord to save me and shepherd me and heal me and cause me to grow in life. Amen. Amen. Right? And if you don't like it, tough. <clears throat> and Brother Nee has a wonderful message on the Lord serving us. Because he, the Lord said in Mark 10 and elsewhere, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve. In Luke 12, the Lord says that in the kingdom there will be a feast. And he indicates you'll all be reclining at the feast. And I will come and gird myself and serve you. And then this is the point. The Lord wants to serve us. And we need him to serve us. That's the only way we can learn what it is to serve. And the only way we can shepherd is to be shepherded. Directly by the Lord or by the Lord through other persons. Then we'll begin the journey through Psalm 23. Both in a linear way. In a straight line. And in a cyclical way. Because the cycle will be completed. We'll know what it is to lie down in green pastures. So you can help someone else. We can help them walk by the quiet waters. You can help them experience the restoration of their soul. You can help them to walk in the paths of righteousness. But you can't go any further. That's as far as you've gone. But now the Lord 
leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. And now you can lead someone else. But you're not on the battlefield. Now you're on the battlefield. And there's a feast prepared. So now you know a little bit what this is like. You can shepherd someone here. You end up in the, built into the Father's house. Now you can bring someone where you are. We can only bring others to where we have been brought in the Lord. So just shamelessly, let the Lord shepherd you. He's the overseer and shepherd of your soul. So he's not spying on you to keep a record to spring on you on judgment day. Right now, he's inside of my spirit and your spirit. And he is aware all the time of the situation in our inner being. And based upon his awareness, he wants to care for us. I love that definition of shepherding. Shepherding is all-inclusive, tender care. You let the Lord care for you with all-inclusive, tender care. You will have the heart. You will have the heart and the spirit. The shepherd, anyone whom the Lord might bring you in contact with. And you'll just be able to to flow him out effortlessly. Because this is one part of the new revival. And that is the mutual shepherding. All of us are sheep. And all of us are shepherds. And, And the time is coming when everyone in this room. You'll know what it is to be a shepherded sheep. And you'll know what it is to shepherd sheep. One time in class, in the full-time training, I wanted to encourage the trainees. I'm 50 years older, at least, than they are. So I asked them two questions, but only the second question mattered to me. The first was, do you think I can shepherd you? And of course. But But I'm waiting for the second question. Do you believe you can shepherd me? I want want you to know you can shepherd a brother my age with whatever experience I have because we care for one another mutually. Okay. When I read the Gospels and the book of Acts, I sometimes wish that we could still accompany our gospel work with the works of power such as healing, etc., I sometimes complain to the Lord that possibly the only apostles, only the apostles had it easier to, to gain people because they could perform these miraculous acts. Why did the Lord seem to let the, have this wane? And what is your discernment concerning believers who attempt to still practice this, such as the charismatics and others? Um, Unless the Lord reveals why he does something, I don't know. And I'm not going to guess why. Uh, it, it just was, in, for some reason, initially, to break through in the situation. Uh, it was uh, an evident demonstration of spiritual power. And from time to time, This does take place in certain parts of the earth. 
But it seems that this is not what the Lord considers the normal way. Now, believers who attempt to still practice this. Uh, this troubles me, or it concerns me, in this way, that they are trying to generate some kind of powerful, spiritual, miraculous things. And when you do that, number one, you are diverted from the Lord himself. You yourself are trying to stimulate something. But more importantly, you are open to counterfeits. Counterfeits. And there are a lot of counterfeits among those who practice this. That um, I remember way, way back, maybe 30 years from now, just for a few minutes I watched this one spiritual so-called person, God's man of the hour. And in his meeting, there was just uh, maybe a dozen people in wheelchairs. And he just stood there. I command you, rise. Of course, then that's all that was shown on the TV screen. Nothing ever happened. And so to pursue these things as an end in itself is a sign of childishness. It replaces the Lord himself with all that he is and his ways with these outward things. We know from Second Timothy that when the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is manifested on the earth, there will be all kinds of miracles taking place. And multitudes of people will worship the beast because of these. And so we should have no confidence in this. But if the Lord does empower someone to do it, it will not be to make a display. It will be to meet a particular need for a particular reason. We know that the body of life does not allow anything natural. There are now some saints who love the Lord and have a heart to serve, and they serve in their natural life. It is painful because we want their service to be in the spirit for the building up of the body, and they may miss the mark for other saints who serve in a natural outward realm. We have witnessed them stumble others and that others have a hard time serving with them because of their naturalness. We are all at different stages, but we can help these ones, but can we help these ones serve in their spirit more so that their service is actually in and for the building up of the body or does not depend on the Lord giving them this vision or shining? (coughs) Well, I'm not clear whether this is service in the work or service in the church. Because the way we address it is somewhat different. Because in the work, we have more freedom. We have more freedom because someone has entered into existing work and they should have a a spirit of learning and submission to be under those that are much more experienced than I. And the experienced ones should have the willingness and the ability to train and perfect others. And those that are serving should have... Uh, the willingness and the attitude of wanting to be trained 
If you don't have this kind of spirit, you shouldn't try to serve full time. But if it's serving in the church, then we have less liberty. But I believe the principle is still the same. And what I wish would happen, and I wish it would happen in Anaheim, um, we need training. In particular, saints that are praying in the natural life, they need a training on how to pray. And what is a prayer and what's not a prayer. And we need a kind of training where, okay, if we had this kind of training, now this group over here, you pray for five minutes and you all need to pray. Then you pray. And then now, then now we will examine your prayers and show you this one was in the self, this one's in the natural life. This is a training. So it's voluntary. Okay? In the church, it has to be voluntary. We need training in the Lord's table. There's a lot of disorder there. Sisters calling him 132 as the first hymn. It's just doing things out of order. So in the church, the only way to deal with this is training. Because the nature of training is to touch the natural way of doing things. And to train us to do things in the mingled spirit. And maybe just a little P.S. to this could be is if you have the ground with someone and you're aware of how much fellowship they can receive and you stay within their capacity, then you might gently fellowship with them. Just say, could we read together over the next two or three weeks this chapter on dealing with the natural constitution? Then, then the person might ask, well, why, why do you want me to read this with you? Do you think I'm serving in the natural life? And I would say, no, I don't think you're working in the na- serving in the natural life. I know you're serving in the <laughs> natural life. And because I care for you and you have a heart to serve, I think this would help. But first, you've got especially... If you are including a sister in this, you have to be careful because if we're going to, if the person can't take it, then don't don't force it on them. We have a weekly Bible study with a sister that can be saved and baptized in April. That that we that we saved and baptized in April 2018, 2018. The Bible study started before she was baptized, and is held in her home. She has an appetite to study the Bible and her life situation caused her to see her need for the Lord. However, she is very heavy in her mind and it is hard for her to touch her spirit. She has been to a handful of home meetings and church activities, but does not seem open to come regularly. So she is open to Bible studies in her home, but not to blending with other saints or going to their homes for church meetings. What can we do to help her touch her spirit more? And also see a vision of God's economy in the church. We pray for her and her family at least four times a week, but can't seem to help her break through. Okay, the response might really surprise you. It might even shock you. Our time and energy are limited in shepherding people and bringing them on. And in principle, we should devote majority of our time and energy 
to those who are opening and responsive and advancing. If we realize over a period of time, this person is more or less setting their own ground rules, right? I like it to come. I learn more from the Bible. I want you to come here. But then you realize this one is not touching the spirit, is not really open to be in a situation where this one could enjoy the Lord and be brought into the spirit. Then I would consider before the Lord and in fellowship with the serving ones, I think we should put this one on the back burner. Not forget anyone, not neglect anyone. But neither devote so much time and energy to a non-responsive person. And so you would continue to pray for her from time to time, or pray for him, whoever it is. But if you focus on this, then you're going to drain yourself of time and energy, and then end up with, with nothing. And so the Lord, in his ministry, he devoted much time to just take care of all kinds of people. But he knew that for his move on the earth, he had to, had to have a group of trained apostles. And so he invested his time in them, but he still had a heart to take care of all kinds of suffering human beings. But a kind of naturally humanistic religious person would just say, I just want to pour out for all the crippled people, all the suffering people, And you'll never meet all the needs. You'll be worn out. You'll be depleted. And the Lord will have nothing for his move. So please reconsider the priorities in in what you are shepherding. In our experience, how do we decipher the peace that is from the world and the peace that is from the Lord as seen in John 14, 27? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay. Uh, What kind of peace does the world try to give to us? Uh, Let's consider this together. Isn't it based almost entirely on outward things going well? Uh, Everything is fine. Uh... There's no conflict. Uh, You have all that you need. But it just produces a fleeting sense of security. It doesn't touch the need of our inner being. Our soul is responding to what is a favorable environment, apparently and temporarily. But as soon as that environment changes and it's not so good, we're really troubled, we're worried, we're anxious, we're nervous, the peace is gone. So it all depends upon an outward external situation. But the Lord himself is our peace. That's why Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts then how do we know the difference? How do we decipher the difference between peace? Well, it's by the sense of life and the sense of the Spirit inwardly. If the peace is from Christ and is His peace, then no matter what is going on outwardly, 
There's such calm, rest, quiet, peacefulness in your being. But the peace of the world doesn't bring that depth of calm and quietness to us. It doesn't address the need of our of our human being. And it's important for us to discern this because as the age comes, there will be a word about peace. This person brought peace. And we will realize this is not real peace. This is going to issue in the great tribulation. So we're not going to trust in this person. I'm going to bring in peace. I'm going to solve all the problems. Uh Uh-uh. But many people will be duped. They'll be deceived. But we'll realize this is not peace because this is not Christ. In marriage. (coughs) uh Uh-oh. Marriage. (laughs) How can a sister know that she is being helpful to her husband or being pushy or nagging? I suggest send my wife an email. (laughs) Tanya, I don't mean that literally. That's just a joke. I will not give away your email address. I say that because I sense in her an understanding of what she needs to do and why it's so important and what to do when I accept it and what I do when I'm temporarily resisting it. But this is this is a sweet question. Sorry, dear. Okay, we okay? Are we at peace? Okay, yay. Okay. okay. There are things I bring up to my husband really for his benefit, but I am not comfortable about it. Should I let my husband be and expect the Lord to touch him somehow? Okay. <coughs> To help men is not easy. It is not easy. Um, if if a, a, a brother and a wife are having an argument, or a debate at least, or an animated conversation, and he realizes, I'm losing. <laughs> then he will immediately change the ground rules of the debate because I ain't going to lose an <laughs> argument to any woman. Okay? That's male pride. It's pride. And so because we're dealing with a, a person in the process of transformation, even if we know what the need is, we know what the need is. And we have the sense that we can contribute to meeting that need. We have to consider when will he be able to receive this and how much. And I believe that even in a marriage in a relatively early stage, if you don't force this on him, you you wait on the Lord. And now there's just just a pleasant time between you. It's just so calm. You're talking together. And you say something like, Dear, 
I'm somewhat concerned about this particular matter. Let's just say is your diet or your just reluctance to exercise or the way you're managing the credit cards. The bills come in and we're heaping up credit. And he's and and the atmosphere is just right for this. And now he's not defensive, he's not argumentative, and he says, "Just say more, just say more. What do you see?" Because as the brother is maturing, he should realize that she has more insight into the situation than you do, and her insight is precious. Just let her share it with you. Don't defend yourself. She's not judging you. She's not trying to reform you. She cares for you on every level. She wants to be your helper. And she doesn't want to stumble you by doing this. Um... But I say, if you just let your husband be and expect the Lord to touch him somehow, the Lord might touch him halfway through the millennium. <laughs> I, I don't think, yes, somehow, sometime he'll do it. And so I, I'm not comfortable with just saying, I give up on this. Rather, Lord, I, like, I want you to shepherd me, to guide me. When is the right time to say and so let's just say, this happened. I'm not going to tell who this happened to. Let's say it's, it's bedtime. And it's now 1045. Your husband is tired. You're in bed. And that's the time you choose to unload all of this. <laughs> so you are talking and talking. And then you hear a change in his breathing. And sounds coming out of the nasal passage. And now you are just utterly offended that he wouldn't even listen to you, but would fall asleep while you're trying to perfect him. Well, dear sister, haven't you realized your husband is a day person? His mind is turned off at 10 p.m. You got to choose a little better time. And you'll learn the way I learned and most of us learn from our mistakes. In message one, the outline says drinking is more important than eating and that if we fail to drink, we will not be able to eat. In our experience, what's the difference between eating and drinking? What about breathing? What's considered eating the Lord, drinking the Lord, and breathing the Lord. Okay? Very good. Very analytical question. <laughs> well, <clears throat> isn't it quite evident in your physical body that your breathing is obviously different from drinking? And drinking is to take in a liquid to quench your thirst. Eating is to take in a food substance to satisfy your hunger. 
And so the solidity, the substance, is with the eating. But the most available, or more available than eating, is the living water, because we can drink that in any time, in any situation, inwardly. And that brings resurrection life to us. It saturates us. It hydrates us. It satisfies the thirst deep within. And then breathing, this is the basic life necessity. Someone who's a Chinese speaker told me that when a person dies or passes away, they say, he stopped breathing. He stopped breathing. So the breathe, to breathe is just to be alive. We maintain our life by breathing. Amen. And so we maintain our life with the Lord by breathing. And I do believe there's something corresponding to the autonomical nervous system in which eventually we're breathing constantly. Just it's just part of our being. But drink and to eat is something we need to do deliberately. And even when, I don't know what your practice is, but I like to have water when I'm eating solid food. It just helps me digest certain kinds of food. Otherwise, my mouth is too dry. But I don't like consider now, am I... Should I be drinking or should I be eating or what's the difference? No, they go together. Mm-hmm. And when Brother Lee made the statement, he's my source for that. I'm not blaming him, but I'm recognizing my source that drinking is more important than eating because you don't eat constantly. But breathing and drinking is something continual. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, so I think we know the difference. So what is considered as eating the Lord, that's taking in the substance, especially through the word. Amen. To drink is to drink the spirit simply by speaking to the Lord or calling on him. And breathing is just to inhale him by praying or singing, calling on him. Amen. All right. What is your diagnosis? And the primary reason why we have a general lack of increase, or what's this? Or success. success. Success among the local population in the churches in the Lord's recovery, especially in the United States. Well, I don't think I have a diagnosis. I never, so I'm not going to pretend I diagnosed this and... Mm. Um, I can think of two or three things. The increase comes both through the essential spirit and the economical spirit. So in John 15, the branches abide in the vine and they bear fruit. And the fruit they bear is... An unsaved person is brought to the Lord through the life flowing out of you. So you are bearing that fruit. 
And I believe the reason why not that much fruit is bearing is we're lacking in the continual abiding in the Lord in the course of our human life. I haven't had a... I've been serving full-time since April 1974. But prior to that, you know, I just worked at an ordinary job, mainly teaching. And in those years, those are early years of my time in the Lord's recovery from late 20s to middle 30s. But wherever I was for any length of time, at least one person got saved. Because to some extent, not not a lot, but to some extent, I'm learning to be in the Spirit. Then I befriend someone. We're, we're just, this is truly a gospel friend. So we could have lunch together, or we could, in California, you know, you could have a break in the morning for 20 minutes. And then based upon that proper friendship, then the way just opens up for the life to flow. So when I taught at San Fernando High School for three and a half years outside of L.A., two teachers and two students got saved. I admit I didn't do well with the two teachers to bring them along, but I believe they will be thankful when we meet in the new heaven and in the new earth. Thank you, Ron, for bringing me to the Lord, for praying with me. That I'm here because of that. And I'm, I was just an ordinary person, an ordinary believer. And then regarding the economical spirit, that Brother Lee has set forth the principles in the God-ordained way that is practiced to the uttermost in faithfulness in Taiwan. A certain number of saints need to have the burden to devote some time on a regular basis clothed by the economical spirit to just go out and contact people. So if we don't abide in the Lord and if we don't go out clothed with power from on high, then that is going to diminish our increase. I am blessed to be with many working brothers and sisters in the small group. But after some fellowship and dealings with the Lord, I lost the peace in participating in some of their conversations and activities, such as drinking wine and going wine tasting. I don't want to raise it as an issue to them who often publicly discuss this topic and organizing this event to offend them or cause them to hide their personal life from the church life or make them feel condemned on the one (coughs) hand. But on the other hand, I'm concerned about the testimony of the Lord, the church, the atmosphere of the small group for those newly joined seeking Christians. Besides prayer, is there anything I should or can do? Okay. Um, you are you know these saints. You are in this group with them. You are troubled by this. Okay, will you have you need to have genuine 
fellowship. Not to adjust others, not to correct them, but to make clear what your feeling is about this. And in order to have genuine fellowship, we know from First John, we walk in the light as God is in the light. And we need to be transparent in this sense that if we have something within us that applies to this situation that we're in, and there is an opportunity to share it, we should share it. And so I would look to the Lord to give you a time and just share with them your real feeling. And they will know by the tone of your spirit that you're not self-righteous, you're not condemning them. But before, okay, let me fill this out, then I'll give you my thought about the thing itself. You just say, um, I wish we would make a, draw a clear line of demarcation between what we do as members of the church in a group meeting, which is part of the church life. And what we want to do in our personal, private life, alone or together. And I honestly feel, and I've been considering this in the Lord, that to talk about wine drinking, wine tasting, to do this together, to encourage others to go together to do it, this is a corrupting element to the church. This is part of your personal life. That's up to you. But I cannot participate in meetings that have any corrupting element like this brought in. That, to me, I'll take Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2, literally, your love is better than wine. The only wine I will drink with other saints is the wine of the Spirit. And I'm just letting you know how you know how I feel. And so if you decide to continue in this way, then I would like to withdraw from this particular meeting. Um, and that's up to you. It doesn't mean I'm isolating myself from you as my brothers and sisters. But I can't agree with this. Okay. That is the possible <coughs> you speaking to them. Now the next is Ron speaking to you. This is a sign. Having this kind of practice indicates that these saints have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And what will happen ultimately when there is a crucial choice to be made, they will follow the world. They may say no, but they will. Because the world is going to degrade more and more. The opposition against God and everything related to Him will intensify more and more. And it will be impossible to straddle both. And you will discover when the Lord fulfills his word, when he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. 
you will discover you're outside the ark. And others of us live the life of separation from this. If you want to have wine at a meal at home, okay, I'm not religious. I'm not bothered by that. But if this is part of your living and the saints go to do these things together, on a Saturday night, instead of coming to a conference meeting, you had to go out wine tasting. Then basically, you're part of this generation. You need to be saved from this generation. Or you will perish with this generation. You can't have it both ways. I mean, this is my strong uh, feeling. I'm not suggesting you be strong in that way. But I believe we owe it to them and we owe it to the Lord to faithfully share our concern with those with whom we're involved. We're not invading another meeting and condemning them. We're involved with them. And no, I shouldn't be in a situation where now you're talking about something. I can't enter into that talk. I can't laugh at that joke. I'm not going to partake of that. It has nothing to do with the church life. Okay. Is the experience of the power of Christ's resurrection an experience of the essential spirit or the economical spirit or both? It is primarily experience of the essential spirit because this is the resurrected Christ um, living in you. So this is what we have in John. And what's in the Gospel of John is developed in Paul's epistles. So this is the essential spirit. Which spirit is the life-giving spirit, the resurrected Christ himself? But in Acts, the primary thought is the apostles being a witness of Christ's resurrection. And in order to be a witness of the resurrection of Christ, for that we need the power of the economical spirit. Right? So in Acts 24, it says, with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So inwardly, their experience is of the essential spirit, but their testimony in preaching the gospel requires the power of the spirit, clothing on them so they can give this testimony in the face of death and declare the resurrection of Christ. Can you explain the distinction between knowing and experiencing Christ as the resurrection and knowing and experiencing Christ as the out-resurrection? A very good question. Uh, Knowing and experiencing Christ as the resurrection and knowing and experiencing him as the out-resurrection cannot be separated, but there's a distinction. So knowing and experiencing Christ as resurrection is knowing and experiencing Christ as the one who himself is resurrection life. And this resurrection life cannot be held by death, but always conquers death and is victorious over death. But with the out-resurrection, we have a further development. This same Christ, who is resurrection and the life, 
is the Christ who, when resurrected, came out of the old creation and entered into God to be a new creation. So first we experience Christ as resurrection and as the resurrection life. So we are experiencing the resurrected Christ. Then we realize, because this is our goal, our goal is to be fully in resurrection. We need to know and experience Christ as the one who in resurrection came out of the old creation. Not just out of death. Out of the old creation. And not only into life, but into the new creation. So this is two stages or two aspects of the same person. But in our experience, they might take simultaneously. Or at one point, we may have the sense I'm contacting Christ himself as resurrection. He's given me resurrection life. At another point, you realize, Lord, I want to pursue you as the out-resurrection. Today, bring me more out of the old creation Amen. into God. Amen. Okay? Very good question. Is it possible to pursue excellency in your work or career and in your church life? How did Daniel do it? I struggle with the question in a practical way. Uh, so day by day, for example, how I can work late and go to the prayer meeting. Well, there, there are, there's more than one aspect here. Uh, first, again, this is me now. This is Ron Kangers' personal view. The word, the, the word career is just a nod in my vocabulary. This is why. And this may not be your understanding, and it's okay. Uh, it's okay for you to be mistaken. You know, <laughs> it's not okay for me to be mistaken. I'm just playing with you. And this matter. You may have a different view of that and just hold on to that. But to me, a career is trying to advance to some kind of status for self-satisfaction and glorification. That I'm, I'm, I'm on a track and I want to get to a certain stage of development really for me. Anyway, that's my view. If your view is just the same as just your profession, then stay with your view. But I believe that God intends that we fully develop our God-created ability and that it will be brought into resurrection. And whatever we do, whether we're students, whether we're working, we function at the highest level. I don't see any verses advocating mediocrity as a sign of overcoming. And so Daniel was put into an environment. He had no control over being there. But from the very beginning when he was young, when he refused to eat the king's diet, he decided, I will be here, but I will not be of this system. And the fact is that he and his companions, in their education, far surpassed the Babylonian kids. So they were placed in responsible positions in the government, especially Daniel. So when the kingdom was transferred to the Medes and the Persians, he ended up 
being actually next in power to the king himself. They must have recognized we need to keep this person with us. He is outstanding in what he does and his character is blameless. And so I consider that the the highest level of government service, civil service. But Daniel's heart was for Jerusalem. Daniel's heart was the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy of returning to Jerusalem. That's where he was. So when the king was duped and deceived into signing this document, no one can pray for a month, and Daniel paid no attention to it, then he had to be put into the lion's den. He said, Daniel, servant of the living God, the God whom you serve continually, especially that statement, you're working for me continually. But actually, you're serving your God continually because there was no discrepancy between him excelling in what we'd call his profession and his excelling in serving the Lord. And so I don't have any problem. I would say, why? If you're you're, uh, in whatever field you're in, why would you just not develop and advance? It's just a healthy human thing to do And if you have the higher salary, then you have more you can give to the Lord and you can fulfill your responsibilities for your family and for your children's education. But with the second part, the example of working late and going to a prayer meeting, this is in another realm. And so I don't expect, I'm not cynical about this, I don't expect what was our practice in the 60s will ever return. 50 years ago, plus a few months, during the summer training, 1969, the leading brothers in Texas were all in Los Angeles. They had the sense they should come together to start a church life. And none of them were from Houston, but the Lord led them to go to Houston. So they went. And many brothers that were my age, and I was already in this, and they were already in this, we became high school teachers for two reasons. One is, we would earn enough to support our family. Another reason is this is very good for the church life. You have these long vacations. We can be in brotherly summer training and the winter conference and the spring conference. But you're not going to find, you're not going to find 24-year-old brothers anywhere in this country preparing to be a high school teacher. Very few. Ah, what kind of income is that? What kind of salary is that? Well, I'm not advocating becoming a high school teacher. Here's the underlying point. And it's what I present when people are open for fellowship. Okay. On the one hand, if you have an opportunity to advance in your profession, and this new job or this promotion gives you this opportunity, it's 9.15. How did we get here? Wait a minute. Nobody wants to. I know know why I got here. I I talked my way here. I'm going to keep going for a little while. We'll go to 9.35 or so. Is that okay? Good. Yeah. Amen. 
But you have to consider when you accept a job or a promotion, how will this affect my church life continuously? If they say, look, mm. from time to time, you'll need to work overtime. You'll need to work into the night. I say, I don't have a problem with that. Time to time, there's a special need here. I won't clock out at five. I'll stay here until it's done. But if you're going to impose a schedule on me that's going to consistently keep me from the prayer meeting, keep me from my home meeting, require me to go on the company yacht on Friday, on Sundays to be with you, I cannot accept this kind of job. That I'm willing, and my, my documents testify, I'm a good worker, I'm faithful to my superiors, I don't criticize behind their back, I'm reliable, I'm punctual, I'm trustworthy, but I don't give myself to any company. And if this is what you're asking me to do, I thank you for considering me, but I'll decline this job. And so that's to me on a different level, you know, because when it came down to Daniel, they said, your job now requires you to stop praying. I'm saying, well, that's out of bounds. I'll never stop praying. You're going to kill me? Then kill me. You'll kill me while I'm praying. Right? <coughs> I'm not going to fulfill that condition. You know the kind of work I do and, and how I excel in it and how I can be trusted. But you also know what I'm living for and where I draw the Amen. line. Well, even if we go 20 minutes, we're not, I'm not going to get through these. Uh, I kind of knew that from the beginning. There are so many. Okay, I have loads of questions. I better wait for a while on that one. We, we, we are burdened for a family who has left the church life. We don't know what happened and think they may be just preoccupied. Besides praying, how can we take care of this family? We get to spend time with the family once in a while. Um, okay. Spending time with them once in a while is really good. Praying for them is necessary. I would just wonder if, if it's possible, depending on your relationship with the brother, just to ask, what, what is, what's keeping you away? I just want to understand what's keeping you away. Do you feel you can share with me that? And uh, we don't know what they would say, if they would open up. And it's really not a preoccupation. It's something that happened. Then the Lord might give you a way to recover them. But preoccupation is uh, a major factor. And underlying that is they have not learned really how to seek first the kingdom of God. Because we all have, I fully know, what human responsibilities are at every age level. I'm responsible to God. And, and for so many things. But I've also learned 
I'm seeking the kingdom first. When we seek the kingdom first, there will be a way to pursue the church life and to care for all of your human responsibilities according to God. (coughs) Why are there no female co-workers? The answer is there are female co-workers. There are. There are. Not so many in the United States. But not all co-workers minister at the seven feasts because there's a distinction between the work and the ministry. And not all the co-workers appoint elders in the churches. So there are female co-workers. And and in China, there were were some very advanced, useful sisters that the brothers could not have developed without them. So there are. But still, you are a co-worker on the one hand in the divine and mystical realm. On the other hand, you're still a female. You're a woman. We're still in the old creation. And the principles that God ordained in his creation still apply to male and female relationships. And so there are certain things you may not do. But actually, there are female co-workers I can't think of any names, but I've, I've known many through the years. And they've been very precious to us. I've always been encouraged that Brother Nee prayed for all his classmates, and they all eventually were saved. But this isn't my experience, despite my praying and preaching the gospel to my co-workers. What else can I do so that they would receive the Lord? Well... I really don't know. And I just have this thought. And I, I just have to share it with you. <clears throat> On our part, before the Lord, our responsibility is to testify the Lord, to share the gospel with them, to pray for them, to have the proper contact with them as a gospel friend, to follow the Lord's leading, to share with them. But we're not responsible for the result. And why certain ones would not believe, we don't know. But in John 6, the Lord says more than once, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. In Acts, you have this. They were preaching the gospel. Those that were ordained to eternal life believe. So the fact they're not responding isn't necessarily a judgment on you in any way. You're obviously faithful. Um, But I would hope you would receive the supply to set aside the watchman standard. He was in a particular situation in China and he is a, a unique person and if I would try to compare myself with him, I would just sink lower and lower every day. You know, I appreciate that and the principle behind that, but I'm not going to judge myself. Well, why didn't I save every teacher in San Fernando High School in three and a half years? Why didn't I save all the students in my classes? So just please come out of self-judgment and just bring this matter to the Lord. 
And I would just, I would ask him. I would, I suggest this. You ask him, Lord, I ask you this, that in the year 2020, I bring one person to the Lord. Amen. Lord, would you please arrange the situation where I can bring one other human being to the Lord. And I believe that will happen. Is there supposed to be a balance, in quotes, in accepting God's sovereignty and human cooperation in matters that are oftentimes beyond our control? Two examples. Choosing a mate. When do we cooperate in making a match that is, do our best to make things work in a relationship. And when do we give up realizing ultimately it is God's choice? If it is God's choice anyway, does that mean we should not have to work out, not have to work so hard to make the relationship work? Yes, that's what it means. That um, when God is the source, okay, and you have settled it in your being, God is better at doing this than you are. And if you are a sister, you are assured that God will not force you to marry an ugly, geeky, repulsive, disgusting, peculiar, strange brother for the sake of your transformation (laughs) to an unhappy, frustrated married life for 57 years. Our Father is not like that. He's not that kind of God. And so He knows, and I know He knows. And we are a testimony that He knows. If we allow Him to be the source, and this includes what He does, when He does it, and how He does it, will, way, and time. And so I can't go into our history. Yeah, I knew who she was and who Tanya was. Because I meet hundreds and hundreds of saints in my travels. And she was among them. But then at 10 p.m. Moscow Daylight Savings Time. June 25th, 2016. In five minutes, our lives were changed. Something began to happen, initiated from the Lord. Then the courtship, even though it was long distance, was effortless, smooth, delightful, happy, spiritual, human, and divine. And the sisters can just check with her whether I'm exaggerating or not. (laughs) And that is why it's part of our prayer. We live this prayer and we pray this prayer that in essence, not in the outward way, in essence... What you did in bringing us together. Do the same thing in the lives of hundreds of sisters and brothers. We're getting emails with happy couples in their engagement picture. And you just see the sister standing next to the brother with her hand on the brother's chest. So we all see on a finger is a metal circle with a mineral on top. (laughs) But if we have to, on our end, try to work something out, 
We're either not letting the Lord do what he is very good at, or we're trying to do something the Lord really doesn't want to work out. Uh, now, then having a child, okay, this is, this is really hard. Should we accept this as God's will? We consider scientific means. I can just say I know some married couples uh, from the very beginning until now. They're one in the Lord. Their marriage was of the Lord. They wanted children very much. They didn't come. They got the best medical scientific help and have beautiful children. So I would never stand in the way of getting you the best available medical help. This is not to set God aside. This is to, the, to do the best on the human side, to cooperate with the God of life to do this. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I might be able to pull this off. Amen. I might be able to do Amen. it. Can you please help us with the matter of dealing with the self and peculiarity? Brother Lee shared that this is one of our greatest hindrances to the growth in life. Also, to not fall into introspection and discouragement. Okay. In order to deal with the self, please read the chapter in the experience of life on dealing with the self. Yeah. And read the chapter in the book, The <coughs> Heavenly Vision, on the vision of the self. Because we need a vision of what the self is. Then we need our self to be exposed to us. Like what happened to Peter. It's like hearing you've got a serious ailment. It's very serious, but it's curable. For sure, it's curable. But you need to work with the doctor to get the cure. And then once you know what the self is, then you will learn how to apply in the spirit the effectiveness of Christ's death to the self. You don't try to beat it down. You don't try to suppress it. You recognize that this is the self. I say, no, I'm not going to stay here. Lord, you terminated my old man on the cross. This was carried out in the eternal spirit. The effectiveness of your death is in the spirit. I call on you and allow the spirit to apply your death to this part of myself. And it will happen. With peculiarity, peculiarity are warped and distorted human characteristics. And peculiarity increases with age. So in the book, The Perfecting Training, Beverly had some very helpful messages on peculiarity. At one point he said, some saints it would have been better if they had passed away earlier than they did. Because in the last 15 or so years of their life, peculiarity took over and just ate them up. This can happen. I know persons right now. They're not with us anymore. They don't know the reason why they're descending. It's because their mind, their whole being, is controlled by a developing peculiarity. So that's a part of the, of the self and part of our natural life that has just been distorted. We all have these. And so the principle is the same. That you, this can be, needs to be terminated by the cross. And we need Christ as the meal offering 
to be the real God-man living in us, who is the most normal, balanced human being who ever walked on this earth. Amen. Okay. What is the difference between dealing with the soul and dealing with the spirit? The ministry I've been reading, these subjects sound uh, very similar. Okay. In some respects, they are. To deal with the soul is to deal with this organ directly and the natural life and uh, the satanic element that affects that, the self that's there, and the self needs to be renewed, sanctified, transformed. To deal with the spirit is you're dealing with the spirit, but you're not dealing with the spirit directly. The concern now is what is the nature and tone and sense of your spirit when it's released. So our spirit is like a river flowing from a pure mountain source. But when it comes down, it passes through uh, a certain sulfurous field and picks up certain elements in the river. So by the time it reaches you, it's not drinkable. And so, dealing with the soul and the spirit are very similar. First, you're dealing with the soul itself so that you may be renewed and transformed and sanctified in the soul. But now you're dealing with the soul as the passageway out through which your spirit flows. And so now the Lord wants to, this is very delicate, to touch certain aspects or conditions of your soul that affect your spirit. So I remember being in one meeting, a prayer meeting, and the brother was praying with a strong spirit. But you could tell he was angry. He was angry. And he was angry about his difficulty getting a job and holding a job. Because he thought he should have been full-time like some others. So he didn't really like working. And he was unhappy about the situation. So that is not dealing like with the soul itself. But there's something presently in the soul that is coloring his spirit. And so that needs to be purged. As a young couple, how can you find out what your function in the church life is. How can you learn to function as a unit? Uh, there is a difference between your function in the church life and the function in the body. The function in the church life is of two levels. One, it's the general functions of all of us in the meetings, prayer meeting to pray, in the Lord's table meeting, to praise the Lord, to worship the Father, maybe to call a hymn. In the practical service, a combination of what you had the feeling to do and what the brothers in the spirit of fellowship request that you do, would you help us with this? And eventually, uh, as the time goes by, you will realize that you just have more capacity and grace to serve in this particular way you really have a burden to serve with the children. And you share with the brothers, I really would like to concentrate on this. It may not help with book sales. Is that okay? 
And then what our function is in the body, that's something you don't try to find out. If you try to find out, you're, you, you, it'll, it'll elude you. It just will be what you are spontaneously. And the body will recognize it. Then how can you learn to function as a couple? I suggest that uh, the brother, the husband, and the sister, the wife, separately pray read the verses from 1 Peter 3 that pertain to them. Peter first talks to the wives. Uh, He gives them about having a, a meek and quiet spirit, about winning their husbands without a word, but by your manner of life. Then he turns to the brothers, and I'd like to emphasize this. He tells the husbands, you need to live with your wife according to knowledge. So I don't do this anymore. But 20 years ago, when the fourth term brothers would ask for fellowship about this, I say, okay, I can save you 10 years in your married life. 20 I can't do. 10 I can do. How can I do this? Okay. You need to understand something how the female soul works. When something happens, and especially if you hurt them, they will remember this forever. Okay? And, and they will be able to string all of these things together when you're having a dispute. And then after they've done it, they will say, you always do this. Okay, and then if you if you say you want to be clever, you just say, okay, let's just say the opposite. You never do this. You never do this for me. You think she's giving an objective mathematical account. She's expressing a feeling, but you don't know that. So now you worsen things by saying, it's not accurate to say never. <laughs> Because I distinctly remember on October 4, 1997, I did this. And I did this two other times. And now it makes things worse. So that would be part of the list of dumb things <laughs> young husbands make. And I know the list because I did all the dumb things. So here's one example It's a Thursday night. You need to go to a meeting of your service group. Your wife, who is eight and a half months pregnant, is standing in the hall and says, please stay home tonight. Then you being so spiritual thinks, this would be just, Staying in my natural life, I've got to seek the kingdom first. I have to go to this service meeting. And so you go, then you come home, and a few hours later, her water breaks. You've got to rush her to the hospital. And for at least 10 years, that will be brought up. And so I would just tell the brothers, okay, this, this is a sister who loves the Lord more than you. She's fully for the church life. She supports you in your service. She's asking you to stay home tonight. Stay home. <laughs> and so 
Peter talks about living with them according to knowledge. That's according to the nature of the marriage relationship and the nature of the female vessel. Giving more honor to the weaker vessel. Notice he doesn't say weak vessel. Me weak, you err. One syllable. Because you need to honor her at that phase. It could be monthly, it could be other kind of cycles. When she is at her lowest, that's when you need to care for her the most. So brothers need to learn this. And Peter says this, so that your prayers are not hindered. But all over the earth, a brother can pray with almost anyone else, but not his wife. A wife can pray with others, but not her husband. Because you can't come together and start being praying when there's just unresolved matters between you. But if you learn how to just settle everything, we have not had an argument. We will never have an argument. We'll never have one. But we've had differences. We just needed to talk through. We just talked through. Now we're clear. I misunderstood this. Now I'm clear. I'm sorry for that. It's gone. Now we can pray. <coughs> so we can be laughing and enjoying something. And two minutes later, we have the sense we need to pray. And we're not going from the flesh to the spirit. It's in one divine human realm at the same time. The greatest service is to be able to pray together. Then as a unit, you open your home. As the unit, you care for the saints, like Aquila and Priscilla. Can you explain or provide any insight into why so many Christians support President Trump? (laughs) I, I can offer something. I can offer something. Uh, because there are a number of Christians that their political alliance is in this direction. It's a purely political thing. And so they support President Trump for that reason. Others support President Trump because he happens to be the president. Whether they voted for him or not, they, they support any president, every president. And so, whether they like him or not as a person, whether they agree with this or that, they respect the office for the president of the president and they do not have a rebellious spirit in place. And then there's a small number that have a much higher reason. And there they are beyond politics. They never pray political prayers. Whether they vote or not, it's up to them. They vote, they vote their their conscience. But I never pray political prayers. I am a theocrat. I believe in the rule of God. So already... I and others, we've been praying for the 2020 election. We're not praying for this person against that person. You are on the throne. You know how crucial this country is. 
you will decide who the president is, who she is, or who he is. And so if it ends up to be a woman, and she's president, Madam President, a little sidebar, if it's Nikki Haley, good choice. (laughs) If it's something Warren, I don't know about that. This is not political. This is just Ron's bias, okay? And so it concerns me that even many, many among us do not have a clear view of God's government in the universe. And he can set into authority anyone who chooses. And I just agree with God's choice. And I will no longer allow my soul to be drawn in to the fervor of politics. No, in no way. Not for or against anyone. I'm not for him. I'm not against him. I will not be in that realm. But I believe in God's sovereignty. How the Lord, long the Lord will keep him there. It's up to him. If he's impeached and the Senate would remove him, okay, Lord, your will is done. Now what are they going to do with the one who's next? Okay, maybe that's enough. I think I'm going to have to stop. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just oh, have yeah. to accept this. It's a 10 to 10. Yeah. Uh, Amen. I'm, I'm fresh. Right now I'm revived. I hope you're okay. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I'm going to zonk as soon as I put my head on the pillow. Amen. So I hope this was beneficial to Amen. you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Lord thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay.